good morning again. What, what a great morning. What a special moment that was. I watched you, Jake, the, the whole time as, as Brad baptized your daughter. What a special thing that is to be in the water with her and to uh, celebrate that together. That's, that was a great moment. I love it. Do you have your Bible this morning? Good. Romans chapter 8 is where you need to go. We've been studying in Romans chapter 8 for a while now, moving slowly so that we can see all that God would have us to see in Romans chapter 8. Last week we talked about suffering. We talked about how important it is to build a biblical theology of suffering now, now, so that when, not if, but when we suffer, we'll be ready for that suffering. We talked about how it is difficult to build a good biblical theology of suffering in the midst of suffering. We need to do that now uh, so that we can prepare for that day. We saw in the text the reality of present suffering and the reality of future glory. We keep an eye on the future glory to help us endure the present suffering and the present suffering helps prepare us for the future glory. These things go hand in hand. They are not separable. By way of application, we said that we should expect suffering and not be surprised when it comes. We should embrace suffering and not run away from it. And we should endure suffering, keeping our eyes on the glory that is to come. These applications that we made last week, however, are only for Christians. All people will suffer. We live on a planet that is full of suffering. We'll talk about that more today. But the hope that we spoke of last week, the hope of endurance and embracing and expecting the suffering, only, only is available to Christians who have the hope of a life that is to come, a glorious life that is beyond all compare that is waiting for us, right? And that helps us on this day. If you deny Jesus as Savior and Lord, all you have is the terrifying expectation of judgment, suffering here, and infinite, eternal suffering to come. So our call, as always, is to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. He is the only hope for the world, right? This week, we're going to talk more about suffering. Paul will continue to elaborate on this idea of present suffering and future glory as he talks about the creation's involvement in all of this. We're going to talk about the earth and the trees and the rocks and the streams and all of those things from the text today. And what in the world does that have to do with us? What in the world does that have to do with Christ? Are we trying to build environmentalists at First Baptist Church? Uh, not necessarily. Um, if, if that is one application of the text today, so be it. Uh, but we want the spotlight to be on Jesus Christ, right? And you will see that, that indeed uh, he is in the spotlight in the text today. So start reading with me in Romans chapter 8 in verse 12. We're going to study verses 19 to 22 closely today. This is what God's word says. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans 
and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Let's pray together. God, we are uh, thankful for this chance to be together, to be in the room with our brothers and sisters, to be in the presence of you, our great Father, to sing praises to Jesus, our Savior, to be taught and instructed by the Spirit. This is glorious. You've invited us into this privilege, and, and we're thankful for it, and we don't want to take it for granted. We're also thankful for your word. You've breathed out your word for us to know you, to know ourselves in light of who you are. And we know that, we know that uh, an attempt to study it on our own, by our own intellect and knowledge, is futile. So we come before you today asking you to reveal yourself to us, because you teach us. You speak to our ears and to our minds and to our hearts. And you help us as we seek to apply these truths in our lives. We want you to guide us every step of the way. We want you to be seen. We want you to be heard. We want you to be worshipped and obeyed as you deserve to be worshipped, worshipped and obeyed. God, help us today to be glorified in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start our study today in verse 19. And the first question we have to ask really before we can move on into the rest of the text is, what is he talking about when he talks about creation? When he says in verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation. What is he referring to when he refers to creation? And, and we could make this very broad and include human beings in that because certainly we are creation, right? We are created beings. We are created in the image of God even, right? Um, but I don't think it is best to include us when he refers to creation here because he's going to refer to the creation that is caught up in the fall of man. That, that the creation wasn't, wasn't subjected willingly to this fall and this curse. Rather, it just got caught up with us in the fall. Um, and so I think the best way to understand creation here in this text is to refer to subhuman creation. To refer to all of those things that are lower than us in the created order. To the material things of heavens and of earth. To plants and animals and rocks and seas and rivers and stars and all of these things. That's what he's referring to when he talks about the creation. Maybe we would, we would call it today nature, right? We would, we would refer to this as nature. And I think that's what he's talking about when he talks about this thing anxiously longing and eagerly waiting for something. And this thing is eagerly waiting for something that's going to happen to us. And that's, a, that's an interesting and glorious truth. So he's talking here about subhuman creation. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. This idea of anxious longing is a really interesting picture. One scholar defined it this way. He said, It is to wait with head raised and eyes fixed on that point of the horizon from which the expected object is to come. It's this picture of nature or creation being personified as if it, if it, as if it has a body or feelings or eyes or something like that. And the picture is that the creation is on the edge of its seat, waiting to see something, straining its neck. One scholar says, standing on tiptoes, waiting for something in great anticipation. And what a neat picture that is, right? That all of creation is eagerly waiting for something, chomping at the bit to see this thing that is to be revealed. And the question is, what is it so anxious about? What is it so eagerly awaiting? Is it its own redemption? Is it, is it its own fulfillment or replacement or glorification? No. What he says in the text is the thing that creation is waiting for is the revealing of the sons of God. 
that all of creation is eagerly expecting the glorification of God's children. That the rocks and the stars and the streams and the oceans are on the edge of their seat waiting to see what happens at the culmination of the redemption that was purchased by Jesus Christ. All of creation is waiting for this. And this is backwards of the way we usually think about it. We usually think that we are waiting around. That we're the ones waiting around with this eager expectation of what's going to happen to the earth. What's going to happen with the stars? What's going to happen with the streams and the rocks and the seas? But it's the other way around. The, the, all of creation is eagerly expecting what's going to happen to the children of God. This is a glorious truth that we need to get right in the right order in our own heads. So, he says in verse 19, the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. I think we have to understand this revealing of the sons of God as the glorification of, of God's children. It seems to be the way it fits with all of the text when he says in verse 17, the children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. This revealing of the sons of God is the glorification of the sons of God. Look at verse 20. He's going to elaborate. He's going to elaborate on all of this and how it works. He says, for the creation, that is all of this stuff, all of this physical world, all of these stars and rocks and mountains and things, the creation was subjected to futility. He's going to take us here back to Genesis chapter 3. He's going to go back in time and say, we need to remember what has happened to the earth. Because the earth is not all it should be. It's not all it was created to be. It is not working the way God designed it to work. Why? It was subjected to futility. And how did that happen? It happened in Genesis chapter 3. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, it's a story that you're familiar with, and I'll read it to you. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God, said, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing what is good and what is evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat and the all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's a glorious truth right there. Verse 16 says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, 
Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Listen to what God says. Cursed is the ground because of you. You catch that? Did the ground do anything wrong? Did the earth do any? Did the tree do anything wrong? Did the animals do anything wrong? Did the rocks do anything wrong? Did the seas and the stars do anything wrong? Who did wrong? The man did wrong, right? And God says, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. It didn't do that before, right? Remember the picture of the garden before the fall? Perfect, right? Everything is growing. Everything is blooming and blossoming just like it should. There's no need for rain because the dew is watering everything. Everything is living together. There's no violence. There's no death. It is perfect, right? And he says it's not the case now. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it will grow now. They never knew what thorns and thistles were before the fall. What I want you to see in this is that the fall of the earth, the fall of the earth is linked to the fall of man. That the earth, the creation, got caught up in the fall of man. And we need to get that straight from the beginning because what Paul is going to teach us later on in the text is that the redemption of the earth is also tied to the redemption of man. That's why the whole creation is eagerly expecting the revealing of the sons of God. Because the creation was subject to the fall of man and creation will be impacted by the glorification of man on that last day. So he says, so he says in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. Futility means that the creation has not fulfilled the purpose for which it was made. It is not what God intended it to be. That word means vanity or emptiness or meaninglessness, as opposed to the picture of the garden before the fall, everything working like it should. Ecclesiastes, it's the, it's the favorite word of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity of vanities is all vanity. He looks around this whole world and he says it's a messed up mess and it's empty. What is there for man under the sun? Really nothing. Teaches us to long for something that is beyond the sun, right? Teaches us to long for something that is beyond the way things are now. Sets eternity in our hearts so that we may know God. So he says the whole creation was subjected to futility. Look what he says next. Not willingly. Not willingly. It wasn't as if the creation asked for this or even did something to bring it about. Rather, it was the fall of man that brought this about. Man sinned, and the creation was tied to that sin and cursed because of that sin. Look what it says after that. It says creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who is the one who subjected the earth to futility? Who is the one who subjected all of creation to futility, vanity, meaninglessness? Well, some people argue it's Adam. Adam is the one who subjected it to futility. I don't think that's a good argument. Some people would say it was Satan. It is Satan is the one who subjected it all to futility. It is Satan's fault that things are like this. And certainly there is some responsibility there. But this text is clear that it is God who has subjected the creation to futility. And the reason why we see that so clearly are the next two words. He who subjected it in hope. Adam didn't subject the earth to futility in hope. Satan certainly didn't subject it to futility in hope. But God has subjected it to futility in hope. In other words, he has structured all of this to shine light on the glorious day to come. We live in present suffering. We live in present darkness. But there is a glorious light coming. There is a glorious day ahead for us 
who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and for even the creation will get caught up together with us in that. So he says in verse 20, the creation was subjected, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The best part, in hope. Even though, even though the fall of man had cosmic consequences, it's not the end of the story. The fall of man is not the end of the story for man, right? Aren't you thankful there is Genesis chapter 4 and the rest of the Bible? Like you realize it could have stopped there, don't you? That it could have stopped. Even, even early on in Genesis chapter 3 it could have stopped. No hope after that. He said, you eat from the tree, you will die. God was not obligated to give grace, but he did. He did and he shows us much grace. And we love that grace and we sing about that grace, right? There is more to the story. There is the end of the story. It may seem like there is no hope, but there is hope. All of this, all of this world is falling apart. It's running down. It's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. But one day that will change. One day that will change. And the change for the earth, the change for the creation, will be linked to the change for the sons of God. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation will be set free. When will this happen? When will the creation be set free? It is, some, is it something that we will usher in? That we will usher in due to policies and procedures on this planet? That we will bring about a renewal of the earth and a, and a, yeah, a taking things back to the Garden of Eden? Can we produce that? Absolutely not. God is going to have to produce that. So when will this happen? It will happen along with the glorification of the sons of God. It will happen along with the glorification of his children. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we talk, about, talk about the resurrection of the body in here, right? We're longing for the day that our bodies will be resurrected. Why? Because we'll get new bodies then, right? New bodies that have some similarities to the old bodies, but are infinitely better, right? Why are they infinitely better? Because there will be no sin. It's the same thing with the earth. It's the same thing with the creation. That it will be similar, the new heavens and new earth is the way the Bible talks about it, will be similar, but infinitely better. Can you imagine that? I've been to some awesome places on the earth. We spent six days down inside the Grand Canyon on the river, rafting the river, saw incredible things there. The majesty of God on display. We sit sometimes on our back porch and look up at the stars, and it's incredible, right? And I think, wow, this is, this is pretty awesome. Even though the, the world is messed up, the creation is messed up, there are marks of beauty, are there not? Think about how beautiful it's going to be when there's no sin. Th think of how beautiful it's going to be when there is no violence, when there is no brokenness, when there is no sickness, when there is no death, when there are no more thorns and thistles, right? When there is no more curse, what a glorious day that will be. And the earth is longing for that longing to see that happen with us because the earth also participates in this freedom. It says the creation itself will be set free from slavery to corruption. That's the present suffering that Paul is talking about. The earth will be set free from the slavery to corruption, present suffering, and it will be set free into, the text says, the freedom of the glory of the sons of God. That's the future glory. And all of this is linked with us. And what we need to see is that all of that is linked to Christ. Because there is no glorification of the sons of God apart from Jesus Christ, right? How do we get to glorification? How do we get to the resurrection of the body? How do we get to heaven? Only through Jesus Christ, right? 
only through Jesus Christ, by repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus Christ. That's how glorification comes. And so if that's how it comes for the sons of God, then the glorification, the renewal, the redemption even of the earth is also linked to Jesus. You catch that? I want you to see that, that our subject today is not the creation. The subject today is Christ. That Christ is the one who makes us new. Christ is the one who also makes the planet new. It's only through him that there is any hope of glory at all. Look at verse 22. This is a great picture. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together till now. We know. We know. This is something we experience. This is common knowledge. Something all Christians should agree with. That the creation groans. One scholar said a groan is an audible expression of anguish due to physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. These groanings these groanings bewail a condition that is painful, unsatisfying, and sorrowful. A cry for deliverance from the torturing experience. The whole creation groans like that. Oh, when will this be over? When, when will this futility end? When will the freedom come? All of the creation, even the rocks and the stars, are groaning, longing for that day. And then look at the next phrase he uses to describe that pain. He describes it as the pains of childbirth. Pains of childbirth. What a picture that is, right? I know something about the pains of childbirth. No, I don't. The, the worst pain I experienced in childbirth was when Sophie was born. Uh, Sophie was born and Laura was laboring and she was struggling and she was in pain. And, and it was my job to hold her hand, right? And so I extended to her my left hand, which has my wedding ring on it, and she crushed it. Crushed my hand, my wedding ring, digging into the other fingers. It was excruciating pain. <laughs> so the other four times she labored, we labored without my wedding ring. Um, it was in my pocket. So that's all I know of the excruciating pain, but I watched Laura do it five times. She was a champ and a trooper. One time she did it without any medicines. What were you thinking? Experiencing the full effect of the fall in, in her body. And it was excruciating pain. But the neat thing about it was she knew where the pain was headed, right? It was excruciating and terrible pain for a purpose, right? We were able to look beyond the temporary pain of the moment as terrible as it was to the moment when she would hold those little babies in her arms and see the fruit of that suffering, right? And there was great joy. And it makes the pain go away? Sort of? <laughs> It at least helps you endure the pain in the present time, right? The concept of future glory helps you in the midst of the pain. And, and, and Paul is teaching us that's the way. That's the way it is now. The creation is groaning and suffering the pains of childbirth right till now. It's happening now. Pain and suffering. But it's pain that's leading to joy. It's pain that's leading to reward. It's pain that's leading to glory. And so it can be endured. And why is it leading to joy? And why is it leading to glory? And why can it be endured? Because of Jesus Christ, right? There is only hope because of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can bring deliverance in the midst of all of this mess. So, the pain of childbirth is pain that brings new life. New life and great joy. Great joy that is to come. And we long for that day. Paul's going to teach us that in the text next, next week. The creation is groaning for that day. The creation is longing for that day. And we are groaning for that day. We are longing for that day. We'll talk about that next week. Application number one today. The world, the creation, all of it is broken because of sin. 
It's broken. It's messed up. It does not work the way it should. Man does not live in harmony with nature. I'll give you two examples of this. This is real, right? I like to hunt. I like to deer hunt. I like to duck hunt. And what I've learned is that when I'm walking through the woods in the morning, in the dark, on my way to the stand, everything is still. Everything is quiet, right? Even in the afternoon when the sun is up and I walk into a stand, you can't hear a thing. In fact, you climb up in the stand and you get still and it's still really quiet. Why is that? Because everything in the woods is scared of you. Everything in the woods is scared of you. There is not harmony in the created order. It's all scared of you. But if you sit there quiet and still long enough, things will start coming out of their hiding places. They'll start to get really comfortable. They'll start to walk around and they won't have their defenses up. And then what happens? Boom, dead. That's the way it works. This is the way it works. The world is not in harmony. Creation is not in harmony with itself. We are not in harmony with it. It's not in harmony with us. It's not even in harmony with itself, right? This world is broken because of sin. I'll give you another example. I love to watch this show. Uh, I think it's on the National Geographic channel. I, I watched it on my computer uh, called Life Below Zero. Uh, it's about these, these uh, people who live in isolation in the wilderness of Alaska, like above the Arctic Circle. Um, it, is, it is crazy. And there are two, it's fascinating to me, there are two different characters that I think paint this picture. There's this one guy, and his name is Glenn, uh, let me see, I wrote it down, Glenn uh, Villeneuve. Glenn Villeneuve. He talks about living in harmony with, I just want to live out here to be close to nature and live in harmony with nature. And he's got this very, like, uh, uh, hippie kind of feel to everything. That might not be the best way to describe it, but he's got this, it's, it's just so pleasant, and he's living out there in the freezing cold. Everything is hard, but he's just so happy, and he's like, this is beautiful, and I want to live in harmony with this nature. But I watch him, and he's constantly struggling. I think, I think Glenn is misguided. I think Glenn doesn't have a clue what's going on, right? But there's this other lady, there's this other lady on the show, and her name is uh, Sue Aikens. Sue Aikens lives at this camp, and she's the only person there, and she's this really big, tough lady who has a terrible mouth, dirty as can be like a sailor. And she is constantly talking about how hard it is. It's a battle. It's going to eat me or I'm going to eat it. It's do or die in this place. And I'm like, yeah, you got it right, Sue. Good. This is, Sue's got some good theology. According to Romans chapter 8, Sue, Sue's got good theology. Glenn doesn't have a clue, right? Sue is acknowledging the reality of the present suffering. She's embracing it. This is a battle and this is hard and we're fighting for survival and that's the way it is. Glenn is trying to live in the present suffering as if the glory has already arrived. I don't know if Sue has any expectation of future glory or not, um, but, but we, need to, we need to not live like Glenn. We'll get to live like Glenn someday and it won't be hard. It won't be hard. We won't have to sneak around and we won't have to freeze to death. It will be, we will be in harmony with nature and that will be a beautiful thing. Did you know that our eternal existence will be a physical existence? Chew on that for a while. We are not going to dwell as spirit beings in the sky. There will be a resurrection of the body, and we will dwell in that resurrected body for eternity. It will be a physical eternity that we will enjoy. You think I don't have time to flesh all of that out today, but you think about that for a while. A physical, a physical reality for eternity in harmony with all of creation. What a glorious day that will be, right? But for now, but for now, the creation is broken because of sin. Application number two. We are broken because of sin. In fact, creation is broken because of our sin. And we are broken because of our sin. Because of our sin, we experience all kinds of suffering, right? Sickness, death, struggle, relationships, it's all a result of sin. We suffer. But there is so much more. 
there is so much more bad news to our sin. It is not just that life is hard here. The reality of our sin is that we deserve eternal judgment from God. We, we aren't just broken because of our sin. We are dead because of our sin. We are not just dead because of our sin. We are under the wrath of God because of our sin. The news couldn't get worse for us because of our sin. Who we are apart from Christ is children of wrath prepared for destruction. That's who we are. We are broken because of sin. The world is broken because of our sin. And Jesus is the answer to the problem of sin. It's application number three. Jesus is the answer to the problem of sin. How can a righteous and just God forgive and redeem and restore sinful man? Forgive and redeem and restore a broken creation only through the cross. He sent his son. He sent his son to die in our place, to bear our sins and suffer our wrath so that he can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. This is glorious good news. There is hope. There is hope. Because of Jesus, there is hope only because of Jesus. There is hope, and he's at the center of it all. It's a mess. It's a mess now. We are a mess. The world is a mess. It is all a mess now. But Jesus is the one who can deliver us, and Jesus is the one who will deliver it, right? So what do you do? You repent of your sins, and you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. You live your life for him. You obey him. You follow him. That's what he says when he calls Matthew or John or Peter. He says, follow me. Follow me. We live our lives following him. We live our lives walking this trajectory, right, toward the future glory in the midst of the present suffering. Let's stand and pray together. God, we love you, and we thank you for telling us the truth. It is a gracious thing that you have told us the truth about ourselves and about this world, that this world is broken because of sin, that we are broken because of sin, worse than broken. We are dead, worse than dead. We are under your wrath because of sin. It is a gracious thing that you have told us this bad news. And it is a gracious thing that this bad news is not the end of the story. That there is hope. There is hope. There is an answer to the problem of sin. And the answer is Jesus who sent your son to die on the cross in our place. We are infinitely thankful for that. Those of us who, who know forgiveness, reconciliation, cleansing, those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we rejoice today that although this present suffering is difficult, it doesn't compare to the glory that awaits, although this world is broken, it will be redeemed. God, we, we are profoundly thankful for that, and we want to proclaim the message of your redemption to the world around us. And God, we want to pray for folks who are in this room who don't know forgiveness, they don't know salvation, they are dead lost and broken and only you can fix that so i pray that you would come and in your grace teach them about their sin in your grace teach them about your judgment and in your grace show them the glory of the cross grace and love and mercy and justice meeting together on the cross god i pray that men and women and boys and girls will repent of sins and believe in jesus christ for salvation today and that you you will get all of the glory for that in christ's name we pray